Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 19, Stencil Girl, recorded on July 28, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So I taught a class this weekend, and your name came up, as always, because people always ask me how you are. And one of the women in particular said that she had been listening to some podcasts, and she was like, your mom is so smart. Everything she says is so smart. That's why I speak very little. It's a plan. <laughs> well, I was going to say it makes it very hard for me to not pay attention to what you're saying, since everybody seems to think your advice is so smart. Well, that's a step in the right direction. There you go. I guess so. Anyway, um, so we have a fantastic guest today that I'm super excited about. Our guest is Mary Beth Shaw. And Mary Beth worked in the insurance industry for 18 years before she quit her job in 2000 to reignite her childhood love of art. Um, which reminds me, by the way, of that old adage, I have to say, where there's a little girl and her father is an art teacher and she doesn't sort of understand what he does. So he says, well, I teach people how to draw. And she looks at him and she says, they forget. And it's true, right? Because we all <laughs> loved drawing and knew how to do it as a kid. And then we somehow forget as we grow up. Anyway, so Mary Beth is now a full-time painter and an internationally known workshop instructor. And I personally know her as the founder and owner of Stencil Girl Products, which was born in 2010. So welcome, Mary Beth. Thanks, Julie. Hi, Eileen. Nice Hi. to meet you. Well, I also know you, frankly, as the eyelash virgin because you came <laughs> to record an episode of Mixed Media Workshop with me and were very excited, as I recall, about the glamorous eyelashes they glued on you. Oh, my God. They changed my life. <laughs> Along with that airbrush makeup, I did a webinar last week with Northlight. I said, all right, you guys have got to start getting with the program here. <laughs> I said, I now require a makeup artist. <laughs> it is amazing, simple little things. I mean, it's not unlike artwork, I suppose, that like one little change makes a huge difference. But eyelashes, I can't believe what a difference they make. It's unreal. And I brought them home with me thinking I was going to use them. And um, I think I need another lesson because um, I, I couldn't get them on right. I got one on and I couldn't get the other one on right. And, you know, my husband's like waiting, 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 waiting. And I'm just like, <laughs> all right, all right. I'm having an eyelash emergency. We'll just go, you know. Yeah, I can't do them by myself either. I don't know how people do that every day. It's like some amazing skill that's beyond. I do not have the digital, you know, finger talent somehow. Oh, that makes me feel a little bit better, actually. <laughs> I thought it was just me. <laughs> See, in here, I thought you were Southern girl, so you should be super good at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so speaking of which, can you tell us a little bit about sort of where you live and what your home studio and stuff is like? Yeah, sure. I uh, We live in Missouri right now, a suburb of the St. Louis area. Um, my husband's kind of been a corporate gypsy, so um, we moved here from San Francisco. was like... <laughs> People are like, really? You moved to St. Louis from San Francisco? But, you know, we did. So um, we just live in the suburbs. And um, I have a small studio here in my home. But it has been overrun by stencil, stencil business stuff, including a laser and a manufacturing environment. And so I rented a studio outside of my house, which is in the city. And... I love it. It's in a building that's over a hundred years old and it has the old plank floors and 
you know, brick walls and it's fabulous. Sounds amazing. Is it is it all is it all artist studios? Well, we have um, we just have four people in our building, and um, two of us are two other people are artists. Uh, the one is more of an academic kind of artist, and I just love being around him. He does such different things than I do. He's kind of an installation guy, and um, and then my studio partner Julie and. Um, shares the space with me and then we have two guys that are soap makers and leather crafters and they do some amazing stuff too but it's fun we have a big big two-story kind of the central area with all these like every power tool you could ever imagine so we can you know cut down all of our substrates uh, wood substrates and do big and dirty stuff in there and um, it's lit there's kind of like skylights over that area. So the lighting in there is absolutely perfect for when I need to photograph my work. And it's really cool. It's kind of, it's just, it's got that urban edge that I really, really love because out here, when we moved to the suburbs, I felt a little bit um, like I had been dropped on my head, you know? So Making I, your own Williamsburg. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, you know, I missed in the suburbs, I missed the city. So it was great to get back into the city and to, it was fun. So. Well, I have, I have like 12 follow-up questions. Oh. The, the, the first is I'm wondering, cause I've never heard anybody referred to as an academic artist. What is that? Well, he's just associated with Wash U with, um, Washington university here in St. Louis. And he, um, he runs the gallery at Wash U. So he's typically working with um, with the students who are going through the master's program and they're working on their, their shows and he helps them put that together and get the shows hung and so forth. And I don't even know if that's a real term academic artist. I guess I just made it up. But um, he's just so... Like, we always crack up because, you know, he can be in his studio, like, discussing a show with a museum, and I'm upstairs, like, stenciling a lampshade or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I always tease him because he'll come up and he'll be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I was so nervous, I was so nervous, but it was over and it went great. And he's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm working on a lampshade. And <laughs> then I'm just like, I don't even want you in here. It's too embarrassing, you know? <laughs> but then you know it's just it is what it is we all do different things yeah and you know I think it's interesting because I I, um, I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast but I recently saw uh, an exhibit at an art museum and I've seen actually several of them now where fine artists museum quality fine artists are taking a lot of craft techniques and craft ideas and using them in their work, particularly as mixed media becomes more of an acceptable, you know, fine, fine art, I guess. Oh, I think that's so true. And really, it's been going on for years and years. If you look back through history, you know, Kurt Schwitters is one of the collage artists I've admired for years. And I don't even know when he was making his art, maybe in the 40s or whatever. But you know, he pick. He was one of the first guys to take the little ticket stub and put it in a collage. You know, mm -hmm. and do the kind of stuff we do now. Absolutely. Um, and I also wanted to ask you. You mentioned your studio mate Julie, who clearly has 
the best name in the entire world. <laughs> um, but besides that, I'm just curious about the idea of a studio made. I mean, is it set up that you guys have two different sides? Do you actually share like the same table and tools? Are you there at the same time at different times? Did you? How did you find each other? I, I just have so many questions about I that. No, it's weird, huh? And um, when I first found this studio, Brandon, the guy I was telling you about, the uh, WashU guy, he was going on sabbatical to France for like three months or something. And so he, it was just when I was first looking for a studio and I saw this ad and it said three month sublet. And I thought, well, this will be a good way for me to dip my toe into the, you know, the studio outside the home thing and see how it works for me. So I went down. Is and this your first time having a studio outside your home? No, I had it was that way when I lived in San Francisco because we just didn't have enough space. And um, and I'm I'm a real pig when I work too. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't lend itself to like a, a home environment. You know? So um, so anyway, I went down and I I ended up renting the space for three months and oh, I loved it so much. And there was this girl upstairs in the space I'm in now and she was a student and as it turned out when Brandon came back from France she graduated and that space became open but it was more than I could afford by myself because it's it's a live work loft so there's actually a bathroom and you know it's just really cool and so I thought god I want this space so bad so bad so bad you know and so Julie's a friend of mine and I just took a wild, you know, do you want to share a studio? And I didn't even really think about, oh my gosh, what if we don't get along? What if we don't have similar working, you know, patterns? And and it just turns out fine. It, it, it turned out great. We've got big hollow core doors for our, most of our tables and um, we have them set up so that we face each other like partner's desks. And, and then we have the studio sort of segmented into different areas. We have kind of a sitting area and then we have like large tables in the center for teaching or for expansion from our own product projects. And then on each wall, you know, she has her wall for displaying her work and I have my wall for displaying my work. And um, since we have brick walls, we bought one of those, like kind of the wire hanging systems where the art is hanging on these wires. So it's cool. It's a really cool space. And have you found that working in the same space as her has changed your work in any way? Well, sometimes it's really weird because we end up doing things. We like subconsciously play off of one another and we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, um, one day I was working on something and I'm often working on, you know, probably like you, you know, we're working on classes or magazine articles and different things here and there, you know, and so I was working on some very specific thing and she was telling me about this dream she had had <laughs> and while I'm working, right, which is fine. And then like, a couple hours later, she's like, so what are you working on? Comes over and goes, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that's my dream. That, that's it. Wow. And I was like, wow, really? I mean, it's just like you don't realize you're being impacted, but you are. And um, it's kind of weird. I remember talking to um, 
When I was still in the outdoor art fairs, I knew um, Lynn Whipple and John Whipple because they did a lot of the shows I did. And I remember talking to them about that because they were in a studio, a shared studio space like that. And they were talked about how people would bounce ideas off of one another and their work would all kind of, you know, pick up parts of each other's, you know, techniques and so on and so forth. I don't think you need even another person. I mean, the music that you play while you're creating or if it's a sunny day or a rainy day, I think a lot of those things subconsciously influence you when you're working. I think it's so true. It really is. Or why do people pin up um, uh, uh, boards of things that excite them? It, it's partly because they, they are uh, percolating ideas off of those boards, inspiration boards. Exactly. And I have like a little pile of stuff. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess some people might call it an altar, but it's just really a little pile of stuff that I like, you know, and it's just weird stuff, like a little rusted something that I picked up on the street and, you know, um, things like that. But yeah, exactly. We're influenced by all those things that are around us. Well, I think that's also part of the issue that comes up in copying these days, which is I think a lot of times there's just real accidental. You don't realize that you were influenced by something you saw or because of the Internet and the way that things move so quickly and information gets transmitted. We're all seeing the same images at the same time and the same things. And you sort of, you know, end up coming out with things that are very similar without any intention behind that. That is very true, and especially when you, um, like Pinterest, which is like the eye candy, the, the king and queen and the whole royal court of eye candy, good grief. And um, it is so true, but you know, I've had this belief for a long time that I think that there is a creative subconscious at work, like kind of among, I don't, I don't know how it works, obviously, this is just sort of a feeling I have that when like-minded people are all working and using similar supplies, you know, there could be somebody on one side of the country playing and developing new ideas and somebody on the other side of the country or another part of the world doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the old, like, Picasso Brock thing, right, with Cubism, yeah. where they came out with those paintings that are almost identical, working on two different continents. Now, they had been in touch by letter and stuff, mm -hmm. but that's a magical moment I when, so. you know, it all sort of comes together. It does remind me, I, I um, was, I had a teacher in this class that I was taking at moment. he was lamenting the fact that New York no longer has an artist community. Like, if you want to say, like, where do the artists live? Uh-huh. You, you can't do that really? because they're mm -hmm. all over. And the thing he says that you lose is, you know, it used to be that, hey, you live next door to a dancer and there's a, you know, painter over there and a writer and you all meet at the same bar. And so the ideas are going back and forth across art forms and between artists. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? In a different way. And I think one of the things that intrigues me so much about having a studio outside the house like you do in a sort of artist hive or community you know is that i feel like you get some of that where you know other people's work and other people's ideas and other people's creativity touches you and you sort of give that back as well right and when i was in san francisco i had a studio in sausalito and we it was in an old marine um warehouse so there were 150 artists in our building there and um 
that was pretty cool. We had five in our exact space. One was a photographer, one was a jeweler, and then the rest of us were, you know, two-dimensional people, but <laughs> two-dimensional artists. <laughs> we were really shallow. Paper dolls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, it, it's neat. It really is. Now, I know you mentioned teaching. Um, do you teach in your space? I do. Yes, I do. We, um, we have people who contact us or, you know, I do, and they want to come into town. And um, so what I will do is set up, like, I'll kind of say, okay, you figure out your group and call me and we'll throw some dates around and then we'll make it happen. Because I don't really advertise it per se, but I'm definitely willing to do it. I love it. I mean, my God, all my stuff's there, you know. It's like <laughs> the whole schlep factor's eliminated, you know. And um, we have done it because we can take, it depends on what I'm teaching or what Julie's teaching. If we're doing encaustics, I think probably six is about the max that we're comfortable with because of, you know, the the torch component and everything. But if if I'm teaching other mixed media, I can take, you know, larger numbers of people. Let's talk about encaustic because encaustic is something I really struggle with. Tell me tell me about why you love it. Oh my gosh. There's so many reasons. Um, well first of all the reason I love it is the reason I love all mixed media, and that's about the layering. I love to create layers, and with encaustic, you can it naturally lends itself to creating um, a lot of transparent layers. You know, with either your encaustic paints or your pigments, or with collage, and I adore that. I also love the fact that it's so fast. It's so I mean, it just dries like instantly, and you can keep going to the next layer. So. You can actually accomplish a lot more with, you know, a quicker period of time than you can. You know, if you think about acrylics, if you're waiting for, you know, your mediums to dry and your texture products to dry, you know, some of them, it could take several hours or even overnight. And it's just not like that with encaustic. It's so fast. And it's, it's so funny to hear you say that encaustic is fast, is fast, just because I always think of the wax melting as being like so slow and laborious. <laughs> well, I just come in and I turn it all on in the morning, do a few other things, and then when it's melted down, then when you actually get started, the process I think is really fast. Um, and what, do you have like a big like hood vent or do you just live with the smell or do you? No, we are very specific about getting the smell out. Um, we have some um, exhaust fans. We have two sets of exhaust fans on one of our windows. So when we're doing encaustic, we have all of the, you know, the smell pulled right out of the studio. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what encaustic is, just in case, um, and, and I will do my best to describe it, but you'll probably mm -hmm. be better at it, Mary Beth, which is that it's, um, I mean, it's basically it's layers of wax, and you can do all <laughs> sorts of cool techniques where you're painting with it, you're drawing with it, you're um, doing transfers, image transfers with it. Uh, what else would you say about it? Um, well, it's a very, very ancient technique. It actually comes from the Egyptians and the Greeks. I think there's some sort of dispute as to you know, actually who started it first, but um, I believe it comes from portraits that were done of people and put, when they died, they were put in their, what are those things called that they used to bury people in? I can't even think. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's the reason the pyramids and their Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
Come on, Eileen, you're the smart one. The sar- <laughs> sarcophagi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. There you go. Excellent. Anyway, they would put the portraits in there, and the wax is so durable, it would hold up. I mean, these portraits are still around today. And so it's actually very ancient, very durable. Um, and um, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you know, it's so interesting that it actually started with portraits because I just took a class in which Jasper Johns was discussed a lot. Uh-huh. And he used a lot of wax mixed with oil paint in his work. Yeah. And the reason given for it kept being because it has a very, like, fleshy, corporeal feeling and with, that he wanted. And I found it interesting that they kept referring to this wax as having this corporeal feeling. But now knowing that it comes from, you know, having created these sort of portraits that even makes more sense to me yeah it really well, think about madame tussauds they call it wax museum it's true oh wow i never thought about encaustic with yeah that is so true are those actually made out of wax i don't know what they're made out of you know but the whole I, idea is to make them look lifelike so they and the word wax is there and they must originally have used wax even if they don't now I've actually never been in one of those museums. They always sort of wig me out. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. (laughs) I can imagine that you could totally be freaked out like late at night, you know what I mean? Trapped in the wax museum. (laughs) Right, right, right. So do you, I know you mentioned, so you do encaustic and you also work with acrylics. What other kinds of materials are you a fan of? Um, you know, paper and paint are my biggies. I'm, I'm really pretty simple. I don't do much with um, with watercolor. I've just gotten the um, the new watercolors from Golden, and I'm, I I want to play with those and see if I can become more proficient with watercolor because I'm not at all. Well, I find watercolor to be a totally different thought process. Do you know what I mean? It's like in acrylic, I can really work sort of back to front. And in watercolor, I feel like you can't do that as much because like if you want white areas, you have to leave them from the beginning if you want. You know what I mean? I know. And I'm just way too um, unorganized or something. (laughs) And I don't know what it is, but I'm just like, oh, shoot, I should have had some highlights in here somewhere. You know, and then then it's too late, you know? (laughs) Well, I also feel like with watercolor, there's such a confidence that watercolor artists have that blow me away. It just blows me away because it's like they do a simplicity of strokes. It's like they'll do 10 strokes to create something that I would spend, you know, two hours sort of working out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I just paint and paper. Collage and acrylic is just that's where I started and it's kind of continues to be my love you know, along with the encaustic. And then, of course, I have little hobbies I do, too. Like, I knit, and I, um, you know, I doodle a lot as a, just a hobby. And, you know, lately, last year, I started art journaling for the first time. I was, like, the, the big holdout in the art journaling world. I was always like, why would I do that? <laughs> I don't know. I always felt like I had to... Um, if I was making art, it had to be something that I was going to be exhibiting or something like that. The idea of art journaling didn't appeal to me, but now I've started doing that, and oh my gosh, I just love it. 
I love Archer Lane too, and I know my friend Natalie Callback, who you know too. Yeah. She was a whole like I'm never Archer Lane. That's stupid. You know, blah blah blah. And then of course she got addicted <laughs> as soon as she started. That's which I think happens to a lot exactly. of people. That's me exactly. I'm almost embarrassed, like how I done it. <laughs> Well, I think it's like a lot of things. It's sort of from the outside. I mean, I get a fair number of emails from people who say, I don't get it. Like, what do you do with it? And it's trying, you know, trying to explain that, like the pleasures and the process of it. Definitely, you know? definitely. And I mean, you know, I think it'll, you know, save your, for me, it like saves my sanity. It's, you know. Yeah, it keeps my shrink bill down, yeah, as well, I say. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Like, I don't know why I should say that or not, but that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> do you think that art journaling has changed the work that you do do for display? You know, your 2D pieces that are meant to hang? I believe it has, yes. And in fact, I've kind of started, I've transitioned one of my journals over to um, a journal just for that purpose where I'm doing my more abstracted, drippy journal things. You've seen me do this, so... <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? I love my drips. You know? It's wicked cool. So I've just devoted one journal to that now and thinking, you know, these are the things, these are the pieces that like I want to go six foot tall with, you know? So let's actually, let's talk about some of your abstract work, which I think is beautiful. And I'm curious, have you always been an abstract person? Has that always been where your interest has been? Um, Yes and no. I, um, when we were in California and when I first, back when I quit the day job, um, I decided to get some, you know, artistic education. So I took some classes at UC Berkeley Extension and I took some fundamental drawing classes and tried to, you know, actually get some basics that I might've gotten had I gone to art school or something, you know. And, you know, I found out, oh, wow, I really can draw, which is so nice because, of course, we can all draw. We all drew, like you said, when we were kids, we all knew how to draw. And then somehow we lost it along the way, you know. So it was glad to, I was glad to recapture that. And, um, but then I started going to the, the great museums in San Francisco. And I absolutely fell in love with the abstract work that I was seeing out there. Richard Diebenkorn, um, Clifford Still, um, well, Jasper Johns, of course, he wasn't from the, you know, the West Coast, but there was a, and I learned that there was this whole West Coast movement of abstract artists, like around the same time as the New York abstract artists, like the Jackson Pollock, Jackson, or Jasper Johns, Rauschenberg, you know, there were, there were like these simultaneous abstract movements going on and I just became really interested in it and um, started to try to paint some abstract work. And I mean, the first ones were, oh my God, they were so ugly. It's, it's almost, embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> almost embarrassing to think about them. I, I, sometimes I say this in my classes, I say, you know, my big problem when I first started was I used too much paint on everything. I got so excited about the paint that I would use so much that there were like no value changes, no nothing, you know, it was just a big old bunch of paint, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I love to express myself in an abstract way. 
So when you're expressing yourself in an abstract way, because this is really where I struggle a lot with abstracts, mm -hmm. is the, the question is, are you trying to communicate a specific idea or mood? Are you just looking aesthetically at what's happening and making decisions? I mean, where, what's your entry point into that whole thing? Well, for me, it's a little bit of both. I think everybody has their own approach to it. Abstract painters do, and, and some abstract painters, it is the physicality of the, the material that they're interested in. And I will admit that I have a real, that's what has a big attraction for me. I, um, I love actually manipulating the paint. I love working wet and wet. I like working dry and dry and getting the different results that come from working each way. I, I, that just thrills me. It, it's so, I don't know, it's exciting. It's the kind of thing that I can do and become so engrossed that I will literally forget to pee. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm just like a five-year-old, like, oh my God, I'm going to pee my pants if I don't <laughs> I'd like to say that I haven't done that, like had that moment where I was like, oh, my God, bodily functions totally forgotten. I know. Isn't that the best, though? I mean, that's like when you're really in your zone, you know. <laughs> um, but I tend to use collage in my abstracts. And I will I start out somewhat randomly with the collage parts that I add. And then as the piece develops, it kind of actually takes me on a journey and I realize how the parts that I've chosen work together and there is a definite meaning and it's often very hidden and people don't get it or they may or may not get it you know but it's a real thrill to me when a viewer does get it I don't know it's just it's just very exciting to me the power of art you know I mean yeah. and I it was interesting because one of the things I remember somebody saying is a huge part of the later parts of modern art swinging up towards contemporary is where the viewer becomes an integral part of the art instead of the artist yes. telling you what you're supposed to be looking at you actually are allowed to have an interpretation of what you're seeing yes yes and um oh gosh it was probably Maybe six or seven years ago now. We every year our um, contemporary art museum does an open studio event in St. Louis. So um, the artists who have studios, if they're interested, they sign up, and the public can go around. And there's maps and all this. It's really cool. Well, in the very beginning when they first did it, I didn't have a studio in the St. Louis area. So a bunch of us just set up in this vacant building. They said, "Oh, you guys that live out." in the burbs can set up in this vacant building. So we all, I put down tarps and kind of made like this little simulated studio set up. And I put up a body of work that they were all um, eight by eights and on a deep cradle, deep cradle clay boards. And I had two rows of them. I want to say there were maybe 20, two rows of 10. And I wanted the viewer to rearrange them on the wall. You know, I wanted the viewer to be involved to that extent, to like arrange them in a way that would be pleasing for them, even mm -hmm. to the point of turning the substrates any which way, you know? Hmm. And, oh my gosh, it was so hard to get people to touch the art. It was unbelievable, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they're like so trained to not touch anything. And then finally there were some kids and I'm like, hey, 
guys, listen, I want you to do this. And I'm giving you permission. And so they went over there and started moving everything around. And then it got going. And it was really interesting to observe and to talk to people about that experience. You know, that reminds me of every so often in a museum, there'll be like a chair you're allowed to sit in. That's part of the exhibit. Yeah. Uh And people are like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, they're nervous (laughs) about if that's real or, you know, there's who's that artist who puts out all the wrapped candy and you're supposed to take some of the candy and people think you're like vandalizing the exhibit as you pick up a piece of candy to eat, even though the sign does say like, please take a piece of candy. Right. I mean, there's lots of stuff where you just feel like, oh my God, I'm going to get a arrested right now yeah (laughs) i know i know we're really conditioned by those lines don't cross that line (laughs) so it sounds like there's a vibrant artist community in st louis you know there really is it was very surprising to me when i moved here i all my california friends were like oh there goes your art career (laughs) when we moved and um you know i have found it to be just the opposite there are a lot of great art things going on here. We just had an event this past weekend called, um, it was Art St. Louis, which is a a group that I'm affiliated with and they have a really nice gallery downtown. And um, they had an event called Food, Glorious Food. And there was a block that was closed off. There were tons of food trucks and people doing chalk paintings on the street. And, um, you know, it was just really, really fun. And plein air painting out of doors. You know, they're outside the gallery in the park and just lots going on. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's pretty, um, you know, it's not necessarily a huge group. You see sometimes people are sarcastically, well, it's like the same people over and over. But you know what? <laughs> I mean, at least we're out and about. I think that's exciting. So so pardon my ignorance about this, but is there is there an art museum in St. Louis? Yes, we do have a very nice art museum. They just, um, we have a... Um, the St. Louis Art Museum, which is more your traditional art museum that, you know, has the collections of, um, you know, everything, you know, from, you know, the old um, archaeological finds to, you know, more modern works. And then we have the Contemporary Art Museum, too. So we have two art museums here. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a, a museum affiliated with St. Louis University, it's a great museum. Um, and St. Louis is a weird town. There are all these people here with these amazing collections in their homes. And every once in a while, the St. Louis University Museum will have a collection of somebody who lives here. And it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, these people own like all these like, you know, paintings by all these world famous people. It's amazing. It's, um, I don't know, it's just one of these towns where people are just very modest, and so you never really know mm. what's out there. Interesting. Sounds like, makes me want to go explore St. Louis and maybe eat some barbecue along oh, the way. yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> well, you got to give me a call if you come, so. There you go. I will. So let's talk about, uh, of course, we have to talk about Stencil Girl, which is what you're known as. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm really interested in basically what motivated you to start your own company. Okay. So here's what happened. In, I guess, 2010, before that, I've been hand cutting some stencils of my own um, 
just because I liked I liked using stencils in my work and I couldn't really find the stencils. This was when, if you go back, I did the outdoor art fairs. I didn't stop until probably about 2009, eight or nine, kind of when the recession was first starting to rear its ugly head. You know, if you were standing on the street selling art, trust me, we were the first ones to know about the recession. You know, and yeah, uh, oh my God, it was like the the fairs all turned into just entertainment for people rather than you know an actual way to earn a living. So I had started, um, I had been using stencils for those pieces, and then I had I started teaching in. 2007, 2008, around in there. And some of my students um, saw my hand-cut stencils and they said, wow, these are so cool. You should have these manufactured. And I'm thinking, you know, what? I, I mean, I didn't even really know that you could do that, you know? And I, I knew some people that um, were, they were like interior designer slash faux finisher people, you know? And they used stencils a lot in their work. So I contacted them and said, do you know where I could get some stencils made? And so they told me. And so I had six of my designs made into stencils and um, into manufactured stencils. And so I had 100 made of each design. So it's 600 stencils. I went out to Art Fest that year where I usually taught, of course, that was the year I got rejected. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know how it is. It's like a teacher every year that I get rejected the year I want to launch my stencils. So I went out there anyway, and I stood behind this six foot long table and I had six stacks of stencils in front of me and they opened the doors. And now you got to keep in mind, these people are just like, it's like a shark feeding frenzy. They just can't buy the supplies quick enough, you know? At the end of 30 minutes, I was standing behind an empty table. Wow. And I was just like, oh, wow, that was really something, you know? And, um, and I just was not that well known. I mean, I had taught, but Art Fest was the only place I had taught. And I, you know, I just wasn't a well-known person at that point in time. I hadn't written my books yet or anything. So the next day walking around um, Fort Warden, the park where it's held, people kept saying, who was that stencil girl? Who was that stencil girl? Where can we find more of those? I didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. I had just made six stencils. That was it, you know? And so I just, I'm not an idiot. I'm like, stencil girl, wow, that's a cool name. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, you know, maybe I'll call myself stencil girl, you know? And I got home and I, figured out how to put a website together and I came up with six more designs. So then I had like a total of 12 stencils and um, I don't know. It just somehow exploded. I would like to say that I was smart enough to have this genius business plan or something like that, but it's just not true. I just, one thing led to another, you know, one of my friends then, I think, I'm trying to think who my first artist designer was. It was, um, oh, maybe Michelle Ward, because I knew she loved stencils. And um, Catherine Engen is 
uh, who ran Valley Ridge. She's a good friend of mine. So I knew she knew Michelle. And so I talked to Michelle and then Patricia Segabrush, who does encaustic work. And she's a friend of mine. She wanted some stencils. And so I just started these little things with some friends, like, well, maybe they'll, you know, manufacture some for them too. And as a side question, can you use plastic stencils in encaustic work? You can use mylar stencils in encaustic work because mylar yeah. is a naturally heat resistant um, surface. So they work beautifully in encaustic. Wow, I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Oh, it'll change your life, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, it's really cool. <laughs> really, really cool. So, um, yeah, you can do, there's like three or four different techniques with stencils and encaustic that are really quite interesting. Um, and one thing just led to another. And before I knew it, I had this company that I just never could have dreamed of, you know? I don't know. And I just feel incredibly blessed that it worked out this way. It's, it's unreal. Working for yourself is the most terrifying and liberating experience. Yes, it really is. It really is. So now my, um, I'm in a partnership with my, with my husband and with my, my son-in-law, my stepdaughter's husband. And um, I tease him. I said, I, I say, Frank, I am your stepmother-in-law. It doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> But he's a really great guy. He um, He's actually an engineer, but he has so much creative ability. This was just a perfect match for him. And um, he was a, in a very, very unfulfilling job. So I'm thrilled that he's part of part of our company. You could liberate him and put him to good use. It sounds I know. Like. Yeah, it's fantastic. So tell me, what's your what are your favorite parts about um, the favorite, I guess the favorite things that you do for Stencil Girl, like what are the things that you just love about that job? I love the royalty checks. I, <laughs> I love sending checks to my friends. I'm just like, it's so fun for me because I mean, you know, artists are so often taken advantage of, and I saw so much of this in the art fair world. Everybody wanted free art from us for everything, you know? and donate for this for that you know and it was a it's a great privilege to be able to donate your art to good causes but i saw so many artists in that art fair arena that were so wildly talented and they just would get to show and literally not have enough money to gas up their vehicle to get home you know what i mean and mm -hmm. it just saddened me about the state of artists in general, you know, and so many artists that are unable to make a viable living doing their passion. And so for me, it was a real thrill to be able to start a business where these artists I know could have their designs made into stencils and that they could essentially start gaining some passive income, which is what the royalty payments are, you know? Um, their stencils are out there and they're being sold and then we send them a check and I really love doing that. I just think it's so cool. Is there any part of the business that you wish you didn't have to do? Um, 
Well, yeah, the whole business part of it. Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Mean, Shoot, I was in corporate America for 18 years and walked away. I mean, I had a really good job and I just walked away because I was about to lose my mind. So, you know, uh, it's like being back in too deep business wise scares me because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like that's that side of my brain I just didn't want to deal with anymore. It just reminds me, like, I, I tell people this all the time, which is the, you don't realize that it's, but it's like for every hour you spend making art, you end up spending like three hours doing the business end of things. Oh my God. It's so true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the balance gets even worse than that. Yeah, I know. Right. And, um, yeah, it really is. So I would say truthfully though, it's more the, um, the operations part of the business, the day-to-day -day operations. And that's why I have Frank and John, my husband, hopefully to handle that because I love the whole idea part. I love like brainstorming and coming up with crazy ideas and trying to think of new things and reviewing new stencil submissions. And, um, you know, I love all the, the creative parts. It's just, you know, it's just the business. End. <laughs> Just the part that leads to the royalty checks. <laughs> that's right, that's right. That's right. Just all that stuff that absolutely has to be done that I don't like. <laughs> it's true. So now uh, I wanted to just mention, because I know you do a cool thing. It's a stencil club. Yeah, yeah. Which people get a stencil, I guess, once a month in their inbox. Well, they, not in their inbox, in their mailbox. We have... Um, it was an idea I came up with a couple years ago, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to create these little exclusive sets that you had to be a member of the club to get this set? So they're not stencils that are part of our general release. So if you're in the club, it's uh, you get three stencils, one 9 by 12 one 6 by 6 one 4 by 4 And they're usually somewhat theme-related, unless I'm doing them. And if I'm designing for the month, it's usually called my private collection because you're going to think this is horrible, but I'll just tell it as it is. My private collection stencils are the ones that I want stencils out, but I really don't want a million people owning them. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I would only our club members own them, so I don't have to see them everywhere, you know? And mm -hmm. um, anyway, so with their membership, they get, um, they get the three stencils, and then they get a, a video tutorial that's... Um, you know, new techniques, a little project that goes along with the stencils and they get a PDF that goes with that. And, um, and then whoever the designing artist is, whatever project they do, we auction it off to one of our members every month. So it's a really yeah. cool thing. They have a little secret Facebook group and they all talk among themselves and I pop in there periodically and well, it's not so secret now. It's not so secret. That's right. <laughs> no, but I was actually going to say, it's. Uh, I wanted to just comment on the thing you just said about your private collection mm -hmm. and about stencils you want to use and not seeing them everywhere. Because I think one of the things that we very much have in common is that when you start giving your hand drawings to people as stencils, <laughs> as stamps, as whatever... It, it's an interesting thing because you start seeing yourself in other people's work. Yes, it's really weird, isn't it? It is. And like, I do find that when I first started doing it, I would, I would see somebody's work and I'd be like, I know that's not mine, but it looks like mine, but it's <laughs> not know. mine. I have people contact me all the time like, oh my God, oh my God, somebody's ripping you off. I'm just like, no, mm, you know, 
I mean, it's not that way. It's like I, it's like we put ourselves out there. We write books, we write articles, we manufacture products with our imagery on them, and we're releasing these things into the world for others to use. So, um, kind of from my end, I sort of feel like, well, I need to be the next step beyond, you know? I need to always be thinking the next step. So it keeps me moving and thinking, which is a good thing. I agree. I think that it is that theory of like, you know, Rolling Stone gathers no moss. But I, I do think when I look at some of the artists who I love the most, mm -hmm. they were constantly moving through stuff, whether it's Picasso or Rauschenberg, they just, you know, you go through your period and you're on to whatever's new and next. Well, you just named two of my favorite artists. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, exactly. It's so true. They just, um, and that's kind of how I am too. I, um, I, I, one thing I do worry about though, coming from the, um, the world of doing the art fairs is the body of work thing. You know, it's very important to me to still have some semblance of a body of work. And, um, I, I don't know, you know, right now I feel a little bit splayed out into a lot of different directions. Like I kind of need to like, hold up for a little bit and get my voice back, you know? Interesting. I, and I, I think that the whole idea of whether you can be sort of a commercial artist and a working artist and a, you know what I mean, all at the same time is, is a really big one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I know I've talked to a lot of people who, for instance, are illustrators who do licensing. Mm -hmm. And it's like everything that they do is for a job. Mm -hmm. And the question of when do you innovate, when do you make work for yourself, when do you do all that stuff becomes, well, a really difficult one to answer. I, I think so. I looked into licensing a long time ago myself, and I decided that I couldn't do it for that exact reason. You know, It's a, it's a serious full-time gig. Yeah, yeah. And it was like people were looking – this was when I did a series a long time ago. I was – called my common denominator series when I was using the vintage people and um, in my mixed media collages and I would put little sayings and stuff with them like I tried to put like different edgy sayings because I didn't want the live love laugh dream you know that kind of thing I would like I did totally inappropriate things you know like I don't even know if I can say them <laughs> You but can say them. You I can say them. There's no FCC here. Oh, I know. Like, okay, for instance, um, this was when I was doing the shows. I had this picture of this vaudeville cross-dressing man. And, um, oh, my God, he just was dressed in the most outlandish outfit. And he had an umbrella. And so then I put the same. Victor says, don't forget to wear your rubbers. <laughs> <laughs> so they were always, like, really edgy and different. And I was approached a lot about licensing that whole line of work. Not all of it was, you know, that edgy, you know, some was like, you know, the mom with the kids, don't make me stop this car. And, or the kids in the little pool, did you just pee in the pool? And, um, you will eat it and you will like it. These kinds of sayings that come from our childhood, but that are, you know, just a little bit, I don't know, Kind of momisms and stuff and different sayings, but anyway, I was approached to licensing, and it was when they started talking about, you know, well, you'd need to turn this into a Christmas theme, and I'm just like, seriously, uh, no, <laughs> you know, because I just I didn't really want to do that. 
you know? Yeah, you have to alter yourself a lot for licensing is what I've heard over and over. The client's always right and you just, you have to make the changes. Right. And I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to do that, you know. But isn't that the lovely thing about having a career in art is that there are so many different paths we can all choose. There are, definitely. So it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. And mom, you've been so chatty today. I mean, <laughs> the, coming in with the sarcophagus line was a good one. But is there anything you'd like to add? First, I don't want you to think I've been just sitting here like a bump on a log. I've actually been having a podcast in my brain to myself <laughs> because you you've both said things that sent me off on different tangents. So I've had a really interesting time here. <laughs> And that's all I care about. <laughs> the other thing is I just wanted to ask, I was on Mary Beth's blog today and she said on her blog, every piece of art must go through an ugly stage. And I wonder if you could talk about what is ugly. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, and I do sort of feel that way. It seems like I always tend to push it to the ugly stage and, and that for me is ugly, meaning the colors aren't working, the composition isn't working, and basically it's just not finished yet. So for me, that's what it means is it's not finished yet. And that's what I always tell my students when they're like, oh, no, I hate it, it's just blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it is not finished yet. That's all. And so how do you know when it is finished? Oh gosh, Eileen, if that if I could answer that easily, <laughs> that's just it's like you just get this. I don't know how Julie feels, but I just feel like I just all of a sudden it's like there it is, you know. Well, I'll tell you something I tell my students in class, which is a line I stole from Jenny Doe, who stole it, I think, from Jennifer Mercedes, <laughs> which is she said, knowing when a piece of art is done is like knowing whether or not you need to poop. No one can tell you whether or not you need to poop. Only you know that. And the same thing is true for your artwork. Nobody else can tell you when it's done and it's not. Only you know. <laughs> That's hilarious. I've never heard that. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It works for me. And it, it, I mean, it also reminds me of that saying from, what's that movie, like the Marigold Hotel or something, mm -hmm. where the guy says it always works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And that's the thing. And then I think the thing about pushing through an ugly phase, it's it's just a reminder to everyone. I think people give up too quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that you just have to push through and keep going until you do reach that place where it where you need to poop. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so Mary Beth, where can people find you online? Um, MBShaw.com is my website. My blog is MBShaw.blogspot dot com, um, stencilgirlproducts.com, stencilgirltalk.com is the company blog. And I'm on Facebook under my own name and Instagram. I, I occasionally tweet. There you go. What you're saying is you get around. Yeah, I get around. I get around. <laughs> And mom, I know no one can find you online unless they've got a degree in forensics. We like it that way. So I'm going to leave you alone. Uh, and as always, you can find me at balserdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at balserdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, which Mary Beth occasionally does, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. So thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Mary Beth. Shaw. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.